the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. One of my favorite parts and times of the week is when uh, Wednesday afternoon rolls around and I get to check in and be visited by uh, John Shattuck, former congressman representing then Arizona's 4th Congressional District, represented it for 16 years. Also, you know, I, 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 I think I haven't mentioned this. You also were the head of the uh, Republican pol- the uh, Republican uh, study group. Study committee. Yeah, study yep. committee at the time, which was kind of – was that an outgrowth of – Jack Kemp and Newt Gingrich formed like the Opportunity Society at one point. Was that kind of the successor organization to that? Who else was part of that? There was a guy from Pennsylvania who was part of that. Yes, and I can see him, but I can't Tall remember. Tall guy. Yeah, yeah. Robert. Was it Bob? Yes, Bob Walker. Bob Walker, yep. Newt Gingrich, Jack Kemp, the Conservative Opportunity Society, right? There is a fascinating story. Yeah, right? let's have it. Um, so uh, what you learn if you serve in a body like that is – what you kind of probably also should know from life, which is information is power. Mm-hmm. And you find out, well, um, in a body like a legislative body, like the U.S. Congress, um, the majority, the chairman, uh, the leadership, they control information. And so if they want to build a pass, they can tell the committee chairman to tell the committee chairman's staff that it should be written up in glowing terms. And if there are any uh, warts in a particular bill, those should be glossed over or omitted completely. Let's water that down. (laughs) Put that in a footnote. So so Newt and the others you mentioned, Bob Walker was extremely bright. Maybe Vin Weber possibly? Yes, Vin Weber. Yep. So they were all involved. And what they did is they had created uh, an organization, the purpose of which was to have their own information and staff on bills so that leadership could put out what they wanted members to know about a particular bill. But Newt and the other crowd want to be able to put out their own information. So if there was a wart in the bill or multiple warts or if it, uh, you know, if it had something that uh, members should know but leadership didn't want them to know, well, they could put out their own objective information that that the speaker or the majority leader or the minority leader wouldn't put out because they had their own view of the world. So when my class got there, Newt had planned the takeover. We were the Republican Revolution. We were the first class. And many of us had learned that the Republican Study Committee, uh, and I think by the time I got there it was called that, um, existed and that it existed for that purpose. It actually had its own staff, not paid uh, paid out of members' allocations, not paid out of by leadership. And it was writing the truth, uh, you know, objectively about bills. And if White, white papers, et cetera, press releases. Yeah, yes, yeah. Sure. bill summaries. Right. Just bill saying, summaries. Right. Here's what this bill does. And in some instances, of course, the probably in most instances, the leadership's here's what this bill says and does would match what the Republican Study Committee's version 
uh, did uh, or said it did. So they were the same. And there, there was no attempt on those to mislead or, you know, they might have emphasized the leadership version might have been puffed up the, the bill more than the Republican Study Committee version would have. So Newt, bright guy, and I admire him immensely, knew that, well, if he was going to be the speaker, he needed to control information and he needed to control all information. He needed to go back to the days before they had set up uh, their own information link. So uh, at a conference meeting, I think it was even before we were sworn in, all the Republicans are gathered and we're doing our rules and we're doing our other things. And Newt had uh, a, a provision in the rules that would abolish the Republican Study Committee. Mm-hmm. It would say you cannot have member-funded organizations. And um, I had talked to the staff at the Republican Study Committee who were by and large a little more conservative than the average member. They had said to me this would be a disaster. Yeah. Of course, it would be a disaster because they'd lose their jobs. Yeah. But, but it also, also would the mean, consolidation. Yeah, but yeah. it would also mean that there was no uh, objective analysis of any given bill other than that which was put out by leadership. The leadership, right. exactly. So uh, actually two of us, Steve Largent and I, decided this was a really, really bad idea. Yeah. And we made it known to leadership that we were going to stand up at the conference meeting and oppose this provisional rule and try to keep uh, the Republican Study Committee alive. And there were a few others, I guess, that, that agreed with this, but we were clearly, Largent and I were clearly the ringleaders. So that particular meeting was held in the Cannon uh, Office Building Conference Room, a gorgeous room, just unbelievable, huge ceilings and uh, just a place you don't forget. And at one point, before this issue arose on the agenda, uh, two leadership staffers came to me and said, uh, Dick Army wants to talk to you. Uh, And they (laughs) apparently had done the same thing to Newt. I mean, to uh, Steve Largent, they dragged us into Army's office, which was on the same floor as the as the Cannon uh, conference room and uh, right across the room, the hall from it. So we were dragged in there and told by no means, under no circumstances, are the two of you going to stand up and, and oppose this. And of course, it was the standard. This is needed for Republican unity and we have to put forward a good face for the public and we have to show that we're doing the right thing and uh, it just wouldn't do uh, to have the Republican Study Committee continue and uh, um, I think they kept us in that room until the debate was over but in any event I can't recall now maybe Larger and I did speak but we got crushed you know and the and the uh, Republican Study Committee was gone well at the beginning of the next Congress it came back. We, we were able to bring it back. We developed a different way to fund it. Uh, and a Republican from California, John, I can't remember his last name. I'm struggling right now. He was kind of the genius of bringing it back. And it was brought back under a different name. It was brought back as CATS, okay. the Conservative Action, Action Teams. Teams. Yes, right. right. And right. the first right. chairman was Mike Pence. Right. Uh, and then Pence decided to leave early. And I was selected to take his place, and I chaired it for uh, the last half of that term in Congress and then all of the next one. And and ultimately, um, I didn't like Katz. It was too kind of snarky, and it wouldn't earn respect. Uh, I didn't want to be thought of as, uh, as, 
I didn't want to be thought of as anything other than a principled right, philosophical group. Yeah, yeah. So we turned it back to the Republican Study Committee. There it is. There it is. I, you know, it's funny. You think of of um, of Newt uh, having been the renegade he was, and then of course he takes the power. Uh, justifiably so, and then tries to consolidate it. I keep thinking of that phrase, every revolution eats its own children, as he <laughs> wanted to get rid of those very institutions he set up to, uh, I guess, in his mind, uh, have an ancillary uh, information center. Right. But, I, I uh, have to give it to him. I mean, he, the guy is, in fact, genius. Oh, yeah. And yeah. though he started out as a Rockefeller Republican, he moved way to oh, the yeah. right. And his instincts uh, were and are good. Yeah, no, he's very smart. What did one of my bosses once say about him? He said um, he has a hundred ideas a day. Yes, three of them are fantastic. The problem is figuring out which three. <laughs> Have you ever heard that? <laughs> I've heard that or something very Some close version to it. Yeah. John Shattuck is our guest congressman. Uh, you sat through probably. 16 or 17 State of the Union addresses over the course. Did you watch it last night thinking you wish you were back back in the House? No, I did not. I <laughs> okay. Yeah, I wish I was back in the House. Okay. Uh, uh, it brought back a lot of memories of having sat through many. Yeah. Uh, Mostly Clinton, I suppose. Clinton and Bush, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, one of my colleagues said to me today, he, a former member of Congress said, well, I've, I've never seen a bad one. Yeah. And in a sense, that's right. I mean, they are written by professional speechwriters. They are carefully crafted. Uh, tons and tons and tons of research goes into them. But that makes them extremely predictable. Uh, and I thought uh, the speech last night was very, very predictable. You can see uh, that Biden's handlers, and I mean that ser- sincerely, not Biden, but his handlers think it's time to be the nice yeah. uh, B- President Biden yeah. and to be uh, a uniter again. Yeah, we're no longer the party of uh, of uh, of uh, <laughs> we're no longer the party of Jefferson Davis and Bull Connor. Right. That's that right. He was telling yep. us about a year ago. Let me take a quick break. We'll come back because I want to talk to you a little bit about Sarah Huckabee's uh, response as well and get your sense of, you know, some of the young guns, some of the people that are sitting where you were in 1995 and representing the the new face and the young face of the Republican Party. Uh, some of us are a little grayer. Some of us have less hair <laughs> now. So I, I don't know. I always think of you as young, John. You haven't aged at go. all. But it is eminently true that there is a younger crowd there that uh, is running the ball towards the uh, field goals. And I think some of them are really good and have been underestimated. We can talk about some of how you see the party in these uh, young guns' hands when we come right back. John Shattig is our guest. He is the president and founder of Shattig Associates. If designed to help anyone who's ever had a problem with government, anyone who has a problem with government, or anyone who might have a problem with government, which gives him a customer base of 332 million people. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back. Exactly. <laughs> Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Congressman John Shattig is our guest in studio. He joins us uh, Wednesdays in our third hour. Uh, we're talking a little bit about the State of the Union. I'm going to seg uh, way uh, into some of the news of the past week with regard to it. You know, I thought the State of the Union, frankly, John, um, was a little bit small ball uh, with some of the things uh, that Joe Biden was emphasizing, in- including things, I guess, that are just ideas fix in his head, things he can't get out of his head, like this issue of non-compete clauses with cashiers that It's odd to be talking about that kind of stuff. I thought his talk on China uh, was not quite up to the moment. The one line I 
I have his uh, I had his speech in front of me a moment ago. And you you think about where China is with us. He said last night we're in the strongest position in decades to compete with China or anyone else in the world. And I almost wonder if anyone in that chamber last night um, believed that to be true. I'll get your thoughts on that and how we handled the um, the oversight balloon. But before uh, you've always had a good eye for leadership and young leadership and up and coming leadership. And you were, of course, uh, one of those people some years ago. Um, we've we've got some some real stars in the party growing up and coming up to lead us. Sarah Huckabee sure earned her spurs last night, didn't she? She absolutely did. I should uh, say Sarah Sanders. I'm sorry, Sarah, Sarah Huckabee, Huckabee. We Sanders. just left yeah. out Sanders. Yeah, Sarah sorry. Huckabee Sanders. Yeah. Um, I, I thought, and I have watched a lot of these, although some I missed because when you're there. As a member, yeah, you're you, not leave, gonna see, you right, leave immediately right. and go to Statuary Hall where you are interviewed by people from your state or whoever's covering your state. And so uh, lots of times you are being interviewed while the uh, rebuttal is or, or the response is being given. But uh, in my mind, beyond a question of a doubt, this was the best uh, response by the minority uh, or by the the party opposing the president yeah. uh, in in my life. I'm trying to think of one that I, rivals. I, I yeah, mean, there's some that are known for their gaffes, but none known for their eloquence. Some people have said that uh, um, a very excellent one was given last year, uh, and that may be true. What I found uh, amazing about, about Sarah Huckabee Sanders is how um, how simple it was in stating what it is that makes us different than the Democrats, how uh, clear she was about what it is that Republicans believe in as opposed to Democrats, Mm -hmm. what it is that Republicans favor as opposed to Democrats. But mostly it was kind of two things. It was uh, completely intelligible to any listener. You did not have to be anything other than average, an average American, and you knew you what know, exactly she was saying. Exactly what she was talking about. And yeah. in some ways, and it amazes me that this didn't happen more last night, the left looks down at that and says, oh, you know, these are these people with their Bibles and their guns, mm-hmm. and they ridiculed it. I don't know that anybody has done that because she made the case so convincingly. And the second thing is— She kind of shamed the opposition. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and, and maybe she shamed them away from attacking yeah, her. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, in part, she projected such confidence yeah. and such solid belief. Um, I mean, she rejected the Democrat view of relativism, yep. and there is no such thing as right, and there is no such thing as wrong. There is no such thing as a lie or the truth. Right. It's all kind of relative. And, oh, you know, we have some people who believe that you can change boys into girls or girls into boys, so that's just fine. If some people believe it, well, you know, why not? You know, uh, I just think she gave a very superb and inspiring uh talk that made you say, yeah, that's why I'm a Republican. Yeah, that's right. I've always wanted leaders and rhetoricians who give you a reason to march up a hill and charge yep. a hill. That One of the reasons I liked Newt Gingrich for so many years was he gave you a reason to yep. be a Republican in a way that uh, maybe some subsequent, subsequent speakers are That was the genius, genius of Ronald Reagan. Yes, when and that's where I was going to go. finished a Reagan speech, 
That's go, why I'm a Republican. I'll follow that guy anywhere. And that's what I thought last night. I thought in um, her cadence where she went into uh, the dividing line in America is no longer between right or left. I was thinking that was one of fam- the famous lines of Reagan's time for choosing speech. It's no longer about right or left. He said it was up or down. But she took it to the modern day between normal or crazy, right? People understood what she was talking about. They did understand what she's talking about. And and the truth is, uh, earlier this year, a friend of mine, also a colleague, former colleague in Congress, said, you know, we ought to be giving every speech painting the picture that, look, what we're asking you to do is to return to normal conduct or, for that matter, common sense. That's right. Because what they're offering is, in fact, crazy. There's a reason 75 Uh, percent of the people think we're on the wrong track. And it is crazy. I mean, you you look at, you know, okay, uh, some some police made mistakes. Clearly, they did terrible things and they ought to be punished. So our answer is abolish the police, defund them. And justify riots. And and that's that's going to somehow solve the nation's police problem or or violence. I mean, that is crazy. People know, too, when she did this thing, she was very skilled at it. And maybe it takes a governor from Arkansas to see it. But she did a very good job of highlighting or illustrating the gas prices and the grocery yep. shelves. People really do see that. And they know they know what she's talking about. They know she ain't lying. Because they have seen it. Yep. And not a lot of political leaders talk about that stuff. To to use today's phrase, it's a part of their lived experience. There you go. Yeah, lived experience. They they go to the grocery store and go, oh, my gosh, eggs are how much? A dozen? Right. The other thing that makes it – that I think helped her and she used it well is when he says things that the average listener says, what did he just say? Right. and I don't mean when he says half the women in my administration right. are, are women. Are women. Yeah. <laughs> I mean when right, he says, right. like he did, uh, we stood up to China by shooting down the balloon after it had con- right. finished uh, its yeah. mission. Yeah. And, and the average re- listener goes, how does he mean that? I, I'm not, you know, maybe I'm not as smart as him. What did he mean by that? Yeah. And she just said, he refuses to stand up to them. And he does refuse to stand up to them. The entire nation was kind of cringing at how we responded to Russia floating a balloon over the entire country and and, and Biden backing down to uh, the non-leadership at the Pentagon and saying, oh, well, we can't do anything about it, so we'll just let it finish its mission. Yeah, let me take the break. I want to pick up with you on this because I was making the point yesterday. I'd love to get your sense of this, too, John, when we come back from the break. China was clearly testing Joe Biden or the resolve uh, clearly, I think. And it's it's one thing for us to pass or fail the test, but it seems to me that we would be in a position where they think they can test us in the first place. I, I and analogized it to when Barack Obama told Syria that they'd be crossing a red line if they used chemical weapons. It's not that um, it's not that he shouldn't have said that. It's that Syria knew he wasn't serious and did cross it anyway with no repercussion. It's these these tests that that we are given and that we fail that put us in a weak position ab initio that, you know, you just didn't test Ronald Reagan. The hostages came back on day one of the inauguration. And it is whatever you want to say about Trump, eminently true. Russia didn't invade any other countries or give him these tests. They somehow think that we're testable now, and that's a bad place to be in. So let's talk about that, the idea that we are testable 
to our enemies whom we refuse to call enemies. Um, I'm Seth Liebson. He's John Shattuck. We'll come right back. Be right back. John Shattuck is our in-studio guest as he joins us each Wednesday uh, sharing uh, his, uh, his insights and thoughts on the, on the currents of the day and relating them, of course, too, um, to uh, some of the experience, uh, his vast experience uh, serving not only us in Congress but longtime service to the conservative cause. I was just thinking, you know, there's, there's not very many people who have uh, a lot of deep and strong c- credentials in the modern conservative movement who live in Arizona, John uh, stands uh, John stands high and, t- and atop that mountain given uh, his service, his family's service, his dad's service. Those of you that may not remember or recall, his dad was not only a campaign and a political, uh, p- a political expert who wrote the book on political campaigns. His dad was for many, many, many years Barry Goldwater's uh, ghostwriter, speechwriter, and... Uh, associate. John, um, countries that think they can test us because they think they can test us, because we're obviously telling them we're testable. Uh, We're testable with Joe Biden. We were testable with Barack Obama. Did we pass the test? Did China learn what they needed to know, not from the balloon, but from how we reacted to the balloon? I think they learned more from how we reacted than whatever surveillance they may have picked up. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, They learned a ton from this experience, having been uh, supposedly caught, although they weren't caught by the government. They were caught uh, perhaps by the government earlier and didn't. it didn't believe we deserved to even know. Right. And apparently that's been going on for years, uh, but caught by a group of people on, uh, on an airplane. Um, we failed the test abjectly. We, we proved that we, in fact, uh, are uh, a paper tiger, to borrow a phrase from long ago and that we don't have any confidence but we also invited the test and yeah, I think that's, that's the, the point you that's were making um, I, you said it's clear that they were testing us I would argue that um, they didn't launch this with the intention of testing us I think too many things or many many things that happen happen serendipitously and then they are exploited so for example it's pretty clear now that they've been floating balloons over the United States or over Hawaii or over wherever they wanted to fly them for a long time. And they've gotten away with it. And the government has uh, not only stopped them, not stopped them, uh, it has lied to the American people or kept it as a secret. Indeed, there's some speculation that the reason we're allowing all this information about out now about UFOs is so that we could have kept it secret, which is just shocking. And And the answer is... We no longer believe in ourselves. That's the problem. That's We fundamentally don't believe in ourselves. And the recent leaders of the country had no confidence in what it is they believed in. And so they were they invited the test by weakness. Weakness always invites the test. So maybe on the first one of these balloons that happened to go right past. Uh, and it might have been that they were intentionally testing us when they went near Hawaii, but not over Hawaii. Now, and they discovered, oh, my gosh, uh, we can get away with this. So they've been kind of pushing the envelope every time. And and the information that's come back is, well, uh, the United States apparently knows we're there and is not willing to do anything. Not going to do anything And it's so ashamed about it, it's not even willing to tell its own people because it's afraid of the reaction of those people. So that's a betrayal of our leaders, 
of the people, by our leaders of the people of the country. And on top of that, you know, it encourages them to do more and more. And I think um, the Friday night, I whipped off a letter to uh, the Wall Street Journal and I said, tell me why the minute we learned it, we didn't send them a letter saying, you're obviously controlling this. Land it on American soil. We'll tell you where and land it now. And of course, they wouldn't have. And we didn't able to say to the world right. their refusal to land it disproves their claim that it's a weather balloon and proves their our claim that they're spying on us. Yep. Then we could have shot it down and made a public relations boom out of it. But of course, I know of no conversation we even had with them once we discovered it. The first thing we did is to uh, go to our military and say, gosh, shoot it down. And our military says no. Right. I mean, that proves their fecklessness. And can you just imagine uh, the then Secretary of Defense going to President Ronald Reagan and saying, we found this balloon. It's over very sensitive military sites. What should we do? And, and Reagan saying, shoot it down. And them saying to him, nah, Mr. President, we, we, we don't think that's a good idea. He would have said, I don't give a damn what you think, shoot it down. Because he had confidence in America. He understood what we are about. Yeah, it's a surrendering of something called the civilian control of the military in the first place. I don't know why Joe Biden thought it was a show of strength for him to brag that he told the military to do it and was overruled. I don't know. (laughs) I'm glad he has been overruled, I suppose, in certain things in the past. But he certainly um, wasn't overruled or listening to him when it came to how we left Afghanistan, I, I thought it was a sound of weakness. I thought it was Clearly. not. It was not. It was not a strong sound. It was a weak sound. If we don't do it today, at some point, we got to discuss uh, the president saying, "Oh, we're going to need oil for." Oh, oil. let's do it. We'll come back on okay. that. Yeah, right. I miss Petacaris alive or Rasuli dead. That's what Teddy Roosevelt said when we had a similar circumstance. All right, we'll be right back. John John Shattig is our guest, former congressman representing uh, Arizona. Yeah, uh, John, you wanted to talk a little bit uh, a little bit more about uh, about what Joe Biden said yesterday um, in the State of the Union address with regard to energy. What there was, I guess, a concern or question about whether he may have lost track or had some problems with the teleprompter. You were there, of course, when that happened famously to Bill Clinton, who didn't miss a beat. Right. But uh, the notion last night that uh, energy companies are going to invest full hog with him, full bore with him, and he's giving them a 10-year window before he wants to think that we can put them out of business or that we should be putting them out of business, um, the use of uh, the, the use of fossil fuels. I, I don't know if he's over lying on um, a Marxist green um, a set of set, set of talking points that 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 fly his way or fl- flow over his desk or if he's or if he's just so disconnected from from the realities of what's going on in this country the idea that we would be off fossil fuels now in 10 years is is, is it's um, malpractice I think it's I, I think it's both okay. of the things you cited but uh, I thought it was early in the show, I said to you that I thought it was exactly what you would have expected. And what I meant by that is that the script itself was very well written, had the right kind of uh, lines in it, applause lines. And uh, obviously, they have decided that they need to make him the uh, let's get along. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gosh, I'm a grandfatherly in some ways, I think of him that the real Joe Biden is Jekyll and Hyde, mm-hmm. but he wants to be 
uh, either Colonel Sanders mm-hmm. or, or who was the guy, Mr. Somebody's Neighborhood? Oh, yeah, Fred Rogers. Yeah, yeah right, right. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Because he, 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 he wants you to think he's this nice guy, yeah. but when he wants to be mean, he is really mean. I mean, he's mm-hmm. the guy, and people should remember this, he's the guy that stood in front of, I think, the NAACP and said that uh, Republicans Romney. want to, Romney. Yeah. Want, Republicans want to put you speaking to an all black audience back in chains. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's such an outrageous remark. But but in this speech, what he did is he did both. Uh, he tried to be the nice guy, but he was also very willing on when necessary to bring out the knife and uh, and and trash uh, actually even middle class Americans for the things that are important to them. But this, I thought was the most telling moment of the whole speech. So uh, he says uh, that these executives had said to him, uh, well, you're, we're not investing any more money. He, he disparaged the fact that they made a lot of profit. Mm-hmm. They say to him, well, we're not. And he says they should have put that back into uh, R&D and producing more oil. Uh, that shows just beginning sheer ignorance. Mm-hmm. Um, no business in America, certainly not an energy business, can operate on a 10-year timeline. Yeah. And, and so he says, uh, um, I told him that we were going to need oil for at least another decade. And if you watch it closely, there's a long pause between that and when what appears to be both sides burst out in laughter because they're saying to themselves, what did he say? Ten years? No rational person thinks we could be flat out off of oil in ten years. So they all burst into laughter, and it was perfectly normal. Um, he he actually thought he was being charitable to those businessmen that, oh, I'm going to give you ten more years. They, re- they, of course, thought, you can't do anything in ten years. To get this country off of oil is going to take... Five times that, at a minimum, I think. So everybody's kind of puzzled, and they laugh at what he had said. But I think the most telling moment was the next moment where he said, no, no, I mean mean it. It might take longer. Right. Which shows that he did not understand why they were laughing. He is so out of touch and so under the control of... What'd you call it? Marxist. Yeah, Marxist greenies. green Marxist talking points. Right. Or that green Marxist. They've told him, well, we can do this in 10 years. So he yes. believes it. Yeah. And, and I, I'd like to go back and look. I'll bet you there are plenty of Democrats laughing. He, and it's either that he, he just has surrendered his own thought process to what he's being fed by the Marxist uh, green crowd, or he's just intellectually not up to the task. And the and the audience caught him at the moment. And and so it shows both that he has this agenda driven by others, uh, most of them woke and extreme, and that he's simply not up to being the president mm-hmm. and intellectually in control. Because, mm-hmm. a, a, you know, a functioning president would have, when they said to him, we can be off of oil in 10 years, assuming they did, he would have said, no, no, no I'm never going to go out and say that. People will laugh at me. Well, guess what? They did. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so – it 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 kind of raises, I guess, putting this all together, John, unless there was anything else in the speech that caught your attention you wanted to raise. A few other things that, you know, I compared it to, I, I said 
some of it just seemed very small, like small stuff. But it also seemed to avoid big stuff. Um, I was surprised that there was not a word about Iran. You know, this country has Iran has just gone through roiling protests on behalf of women's rights. Almost a thousand Iranians have been killed in these riots of the last several months. Not a peep. Not a peep. All at the same time, speaking of energy, his administration is working on a deal that would help shovel billions of dollars to them um, in, in, in an effort to get them to um, commit, I suppose, to not uh, building a nuclear weapon, which we know is, 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 pretty, is a pretty faulty premise. We're going to pay you to keep your word when they hadn't in the past to somehow resurrect their foreign policy or just re-justify the foreign policy of Barack Obama's. I thought it was interesting. Not a word. Not a word on behalf of women's rights anywhere in the world, including where they are right now most tender in Iran. I thought it was interesting. Not a word. I think it's a reflection of both how out of touch he is and uh, his administration's willingness to ignore uh, the the bad things that are happening around them. Uh, you can say that about Iran. You know, his answer or his speechwriter's answer would be, well, Iran's bad news for us, so we don't want to talk about yeah, bad of course, news. Of the balloon, the balloon's bad news for us, so we don't want to talk about the balloon, so we'll separate it by a few other lines in the speech, and then we'll say we're doing great against China, yeah. which itself is one of those statements where you go, what? That doesn't make any sense. I will pick another one where he doesn't want about things that go talk about things that are going badly. Um, the situation in uh, Ukraine is not going well. Um, we are dribbling out weapons at such a slow pace, you know. And I'm perfectly sympathetic to the question of should we have gone in at all, and we could debate that issue. But we're stuck now. A failure now will be devastating for Europe and for us. And we're still dribbling out weapons. So did he talk about, you know, by God, we're going to win there or that's a vindication of freedom right on the border of Russia? Nope. He didn't talk about it. Uh, He has no he has no personal courage in his speeches any more than in his conduct. We talked about uh, this being somewhat small, but we also talked about, you know, these are the issues that at least he wants to maybe think about campaigning on. Let's close up uh, on this hour in the next segment with what I like to call the durables, you know, things that really do matter. The long lasting perspective that I know you're so you're so interested in talking about, as I always am. Uh, John and I will be right back with some concluding thoughts. John Shattuck has been our in-studio guest uh, the past hour. I closed my first hour, John, by quoting uh, the philosopher Montesquieu. And uh, I was saying, quoting him saying, "...the deterioration of every government begins with the decay of the principle upon which it was founded." I also had cause to reference a bunch of thinkers who thought that um, democracies don't live the moment they stop believing in their own cause and don't have the courage to speak out on behalf of them. It's an administration that was propelled to power on the notion that to say American is great is a jingoistic notion. To say that uh, we are an exceptional country was denunciated by both Barack Obama and the entirety of the left and Democratic Party going into this election. Um, those dividends and receipts are coming in, aren't they? Uh, When we talk about the durables, uh, the things that really, really matter, there does seem to be 
a, an ill mood, a foul mood in this country, almost a da- as if America is a down market commodity led by people who don't think we have a right to be the leading country in the world. And maybe we're not anymore as a result of some of that pacifist thinking. What do you think? Well, I think that we are being led by people who fundamentally don't believe uh, in America or American greatness. Uh, We began during the uh, Obama administration with a challenge to the American dream. You know, uh, I mean, there are people still around in this country who believe in the American dream, and it was almost incredulous. Um, and, And characterizing fundamental beliefs like equal protection under the law or equality mm-hmm. or uh, that truth matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we have slipped away from so much. And I find myself wondering, uh, what is the effect of having a president for eight years who went around the world on an apology tour right. and saying, right. my country is bad. Mm-hmm. We've done Many, 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 many bad things. We admit we've done those bad things kind of implicitly. And it's not that we thought they were good things or intended to do good things. It's that we intended to do bad things. And now I'm going to apologize for them and and we're going to quit doing them. We're we're kind of through being America. And we have a dark heart is what he was saying. Right. What's the impact on the world? Of that, and right. what's the impact on our children yeah. of that? Exactly. You can get narrow. You can get down to what are we teaching in the schools, and now we find out that after that eight years, we're teaching we're America teaching is that. bad. Yeah. <laughs> we are teaching. We are teaching that, and that's what makes us so testable. It's a testing time, Paul Harvey once said. If I can quote another another great hero of the conservative movement, who also was based here in Arizona for some years, John Shattuck. I always love visiting with you. Thanks for being with us. It's fun to be here. I'm Seth Liebson. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. Class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.